All right, everyone, we're going to be in John chapter 11 today. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's go ahead and turn there. Or if you have your phone or if you're on a computer, um, BibleGateway.com is the one I always use. So uh, while you're turning there, um, I am really excited to be able to, to come to you this way. Uh, I'm sorry that we can't meet. I know we've talked about that, but I'm just, I'm just so bummed that we can't be together. But in the meantime, we can come together around God's word. We can come to, together around worship. And this morning, uh, I'm really excited for this message in John chapter 11, looking at the story of Lazarus. So before we jump in, I'm gonna pray if you'll join with me from where you are. Father God, this morning as we look at your word, God, I pray that you give us ears to hear, that you give us hearts that are ready to be challenged. Um, God, in these turbulent times and sometimes these scary and uncertain times, I pray that you give us hope this morning that you give us hope that, that you are in control, that your truth supersedes anything that we see and anything that's going on. And God, this morning, I pray that you take this simple message and you do amazing things with it. God, that you uh, take simple words and simple phrases that I'm about to speak and you turn them into something amazing because that's what you do. And God, this morning, anything that I say that's for me and my imagination, let it be forgotten before anyone logs off today. God, in everything that's for me, let it stick forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to read quite a bit today. It's a little different context, so I think reading some more will be a little easier to follow than it is when we're all corporately together. So I'm going to start in John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And uh, on the screen, you'll see some different uh, phrases. We're going to look at different uh, quotes that the different characters say throughout the story as we go along. So join with me. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now I'm just gonna stop real quick. This is the same Mary and Martha. If you've grown up in church or gone to Sunday school or um, been familiar with Christianity at all, Mary and Martha are the two sisters that um, were hosting Jesus one time and Martha's busy in the kitchen and cooking and doing the dishes and doing all the things Martha does. And Mary is just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha gets frustrated and says, Jesus, won't you do something uh, to tell my sister to help? And Jesus says, what she's doing is the right thing and won't be taken away from her. We'll see later in the story that Jesus had a really special relationship with this family. And in verse two, it says, it was Mary who anointed the Lord, the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, interestingly enough, verse two hasn't actually happened yet in the chronology of John. In John chapter 12 is where we find that story. But what, the, what John wanted to do was make sure that you knew who this person was and how important she was connecting again in verse three. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, it's really interesting because I, I'm telling you that the end of the story, spoiler alert, Lazarus rises from the dead. And to rise from the dead, you first have to be dead. But Jesus here is telling us that this illness does not lead to death. And it sounds very contradictory. But we're going to look today at two words that seem like synonyms, but they're not quite the same. In fact, they're rather distinct and unique. The first one is truth. We find truth in Scripture. Everything that the Word of God says is truth. And truth supersedes fact. The fact is that Lazarus did die. 
But the truth is that his illness did not lead to total and permanent death. And I think this truth and fact idea is gonna be really important for us right now in what we're facing. And in the next few weeks, as things continue to progress and things continue to change with this COVID-19 virus, we're gonna see things that are fact that we see with our eyes and we experience and, and, and we can't debate and discuss those. But truth supersedes anything that we see, that what we see is trumped by the word of God that says that he's in control, that this is not a surprise to him, and that he's gonna work things out for our good. Um, and so I want us to really look at that as we, we're gonna look at that multiple times as we go through this story. And as we continue, in verse five, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This is an amazing sentence that can actually be said about all of us who have said yes to Jesus. Actually, it can be said of all of us who are made in the image of God, which is every single one of us. John also says in, in John 3.16, for God so loved the entire world that he gave his only son um, for us, that, that this love that Jesus has is not unique to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It's actually felt for all of us. First um, John tells us that God is love. John wants us to understand that, that God is the central source of love, that he is the central focus of love, and Jesus is the physical manifestation or the representation of God's love. And this is truth. This sentence here is the truth that Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, which we're gonna need to see that's the truth because this next sentence sounds very, very odd. And he says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. This doesn't seem very much like a loving kind of thing to do. And we have to see that the, the first word there, so, connects it to the previous sentence. And going back one, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and because of that fact, he waited two days. Now that doesn't seem like love to me. Love to me seems like if someone is ill that Jesus would go and he would go to them and he would heal them and he would do the things that Jesus does. Jesus healed the blind men. He made the deaf be able to hear. He made the mute be able to speak. He did amazing things, but here he pauses and he waits and it doesn't make any sense. And, and sometimes God's love doesn't always look the way we think it should. Sometimes the things that God does or what he allows to have happen doesn't make any sense to us in the moment, doesn't make any earthly sense. His ways are so much higher than our ways. And right now, I think we can be struggling with this. I think some of you listening to me today are probably struggling with this. How can this be happening if God loves me? Why would God allow certain things to happen if he loved me? Again, we have to look at truth and fact. Yes, the fact is that Jesus waited two whole days. But the truth, that's the fact, but the truth is that he loved them. And at the end of the story, we'll see what he was trying to accomplish and what he was trying to do. And I'm sorry that, and it frustrates me so much, but we never know what is Jesus, what Jesus is really up to until the very end of the story that we don't ever get to really see. And it's just so impactful that he waited two days. Now, just so we can understand, the whole context of the story. This is about a four-day story. Um, the messenger gets to Jesus on day one. He leaves on day three, gets to Bethany on day four. And it says that, that Lazarus has been dead for four days. So in Jewish understanding of how time works, 
Lazarus died the same day that Jesus found out that he was ill. So on day one, when the messenger got to Jesus, Lazarus could have already been dead. Now, the disciples don't know that, but that's what they are being told and that's what they're having to follow along with. And so let's continue in the story. In verse seven, then after he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again, and then he talks about um, different things in the next few verses. We're gonna skip over those a little bit um, because he's talking about light and, and, and day and night and stumbling, and that's another message for another day. But in verse 11, it's in verse 11. Let your eyes drift down to verse 11. Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And it's just, again, this sounds so interesting because Jesus said earlier this doesn't lead to death, but now Lazarus is asleep. And I want you guys to really understand that the disciples may sometimes seem like super saints who did these amazing things. And if you read the book of Acts, which is the, the history of the first church and what the disciples were doing, they can seem like they are just above and beyond anything that you and I will ever accomplish. And I really wanna break this down for just a minute because I wanna show you that if you've ever been confused by Jesus, you're in really good company. If you've ever completely missed the point of what Jesus is trying to do, you're in really, really good company. Because after Jesus tells the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, this is, this is their follow-up statement. Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. And I, I always try and put myself into a story. One of the things that I've been doing a lot lately when it comes to trying, un, trying to understand scripture more, and especially in preaching this, the word of God, is to put myself as a character. And I'm trying to think, if I was one of the disciples, I think that there had to be like this, this side conversation that happened. Jesus says, hey guys, Lazarus, Lazarus has fallen asleep, but we're gonna go wake him up. And we're gonna go to this place, Judea, where the people there, the Jewish people there, they wanted to kill Jesus. In fact, the last time he was there, they wanted to stone him, but they didn't because they were afraid of what other people would do. And so um, the, the disciples really aren't keen in following Jesus to Judea, especially if Lazarus is just asleep. And so I think there has to have been this side conversation like, okay, guys, who is, who is gonna tell you? Uh, are you gonna say it? Are you, I, don't, I really don't wanna say it. I don't wanna seem like I'm, I'm contradicting Jesus. But, and it probably was Peter because Peter was the loudmouth of the group. But Peter, I think someone finally got brave enough to say, um, you know, Jesus, like, if he's, if he's just sleeping, um, he wakes up because like that's what you do after you sleep and and I've been sick before and like a a good nap really helped me out so maybe maybe we should not go to the place that that they want to kill us and just let him wake up so they just don't get it and so if you've ever once read through scripture or heard a message or been following along and you're just like man I'm so lost you're in really good company the disciples didn't get it. And so Jesus, as plain as day, says, Lazarus has died. He wants to make sure that they understand. And I love this about Jesus because sometimes for me especially, I need the remedial class. I need the beginner's class because 
I miss so much of what Jesus is doing. And Jesus here says, Lazarus has died. But then he says some, some more profound things. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Now us on the, the backside of this story, being able to look back in context, understand that, oh, he's saying this because he's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead. It's gonna be this miraculous moment. But the disciples are like, he's dead. And, and, and that doesn't help me believe. I don't understand what you're doing. And I love that Jesus just makes it plain. Because his plain speech is really helpful sometimes. Because I've asked this question multiple times and I've had it asked to me and I'm not picking on anyone if you've asked me this question because I asked it before you did. What should I do right now? In everything that's going on in our world, what should I do right now? How should I act? How should I behave? What should I be doing? And I love that Jesus gave us some really clear instructions. I'm just gonna go over two. In John 13, he says, love one another as I have loved you. And then when he's asked what is the greatest commandment, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so in this season that is precarious and difficult and stressful and scary, the thing that is asked of us is love. The thing that is asked of us is how would we want someone to treat us if we were in their situation? How would we want people to come around us? How would we want people to help? That's what is asked of us. Jesus makes it very, very plain. Now, going back to the truth and fact idea, this is a fact. Lazarus has died. It's not debatable. You can't argue your way out of it. He has died. And in fact, at this point, he's already been buried. He's probably already in the tomb and his family is mourning. That's a fact. But we have to see again that the truth that Jesus started with, that this illness will not lead to death, supersedes the fact. And that's really hard for us because we're people who are called to live by faith, not by sight. And it's so easy to simply live by what we see, to simply walk around being terrified because we see things that are terrifying. But Jesus says, no, 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 you're you're not a people who live by sight. You're a people who live by faith. Truth supersedes fact. So let's jump down here to verse 17. Verse 17, we get to where Jesus gets to Bethany, the town that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are from. And it says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, which confirms that he died the same day that Jesus was given the information. And it says, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house because that's what Mary does. She sits around lazy. Martha's the one who always does the work. And she goes forward and says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I love this statement. I love Martha for making the statement and Mary makes the same statement here in a few verses. But this is such an amazing, amazing statement that she makes because it gives us freedom to express our disappointment, our grief, our anger, our frustration at God. She comes at Jesus saying, hey, 
Listen here, if you'd been here, bro, my brother would not have died because I know what you're capable of. I know what you can do. I've seen you do it. Why didn't you come? And can you just imagine, can you just imagine Martha had sent the messenger to Jesus and, and probably said, hey, tell them that Lazarus is, no, 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 no. Tell them that the one you love is ill. He'll know exactly who we're talking about. And she sends him. And maybe by the time he gets back on the same day, maybe he made it fast, Lazarus hadn't died yet, but can you just imagine the waiting and the waiting and the waiting? And some of you, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're waiting on God to do something. You're waiting, and the, the waiting is the agony, and it's so hard. And the messenger comes back, and Jesus isn't there. And then every moment that Jesus doesn't come becomes more frustrating and the anger builds and finally Jesus shows up and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But if you notice, what does she start with? She starts with Lord. And I I love that. She starts with Lord, if you had been here. The disappointment she feels doesn't change who Jesus is. The disappointment that you feel does not change who Jesus is. Our circumstances that we're experiencing right now, and some of us are dealing with some pretty serious and probably some hard circumstances, that doesn't change who Jesus is. Jesus is the flesh and bone manifestation or representation of God. God put on flesh and bone, moved into the neighborhood, lived a life that we couldn't live, died a death that we couldn't, that we weren't willing to die, was the sacrifice for us. That doesn't change no matter what our circumstances are because that's faith, not sight. Today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, whatever we go through doesn't remove Jesus from being Lord. Whether we believe it or not, he is Lord. And I love that she starts there because if we start there, now we have freedom to express our frustration. Because if you say, I've never been frustrated at God, I say you're probably lying to me. If that, that song that we sing, um, you're never gonna let me down, you haven't let me down yet, I struggle sometimes to sing that song because there's many times that I feel like Jesus has let me down, that he didn't do what I thought he should do. Now, same situation, I am seeing just like Martha, I only see in part. Now, when I get to eternity shores and I can look back and be like, oh, you really did take care of me in that situation. You saved me from something that was probably really bad for me. But in the moment, all I can see is the loss. But she, she doesn't stop there. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But in verse 22, she says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And this is a perfect example of faith in the real world. Disappointment, frustration, anger, comma, but you're still good but you're still God, but you can still do amazing things, but you don't actually let me down. I may feel let down right now, but my feelings are superseded by the truth that you're always in control, that you're always gonna be there. First, she expressed her frustration and her fears and then came back to what she knows about Jesus. Guys, that is exactly how we need to do it. God's fine with our frustration, with our feelings. In fact, he gave them to us. But after that, those feelings, we come back to the truth. And Jesus tells Martha, your brother will rise again. Now, this should be a time of celebration. Jesus was speaking literally 
Martha heard him theologically, and we know that because she follows it up with, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection on the last days. This is a Jewish understanding that there would one day be a corporate or nationwide resurrection. Jesus was saying, no, 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 Martha, in just a few minutes, actually, just a few minutes from now, your brother who is dead, four days dead, which is officially dead, in Jewish culture, there was an idea that the spirit of the body would, would kind of hover around for about three days, hoping that it would be resurrected. And then after three days, the spirit would go to eternity shores. And so Jesus, on the fourth day, did something that was completely and totally impossible. But Martha doesn't hear that. Martha doesn't hear that. She hears something she already knows. Jesus is trying to change her mind about something, but she's already got ingrained in her mind what the reality is. She's working on facts. Jesus is trying to bring her truth. And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And then he goes on, but he finishes the statement with, do you believe this? He takes this theological understanding of the resurrection and he makes it personal. He makes it about himself because Jesus is perfect theology. And I wanna, I wanna camp out on this, do you believe this question for just a minute? Because he's really asking, he, in, his, in his statement, I'm sorry, he says two different things. So when he asks, do you believe this? He could be asking two different things. He could be asking, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life. That's the first sentence that he makes. Do you believe that to be true? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? But then the next part is, do you believe whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live? Talking about the resurrection of Lazarus that is about to happen, which would have been her central focus. Her central focus would have been the death of her brother. She was still in mourning. But Jesus says, do you believe this? And this is the first time that anyone in the story gets something right. She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. The disciples had missed it. You and I miss it all the time. Martha had missed it multiple times, but here, all of a sudden, she gets it completely and totally right. Maybe the first time anyone has gotten this right, she takes what she knows and makes it a personal belief. Because in verse 22, we see that she says, I know whatever you ask God for, you will get. Saying that there's definitely a special connection between you and God. That you have this special connection with God that what you ask for, he does, and it's something miraculous. Verse 24, I know that my, my brother will rise again in the last days. I have faith in, in what the word says. But John says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us Again, put on flesh and bone, moved into the neighborhood, and Martha gets it right. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the Son of God who is coming into the world. She takes it and makes it a personal belief that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. And this morning I want to challenge you with that same question. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is still in control? Do you believe that God is still in control? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do not be astounded by what Jesus can do. Be astounded by who he is. And the story continues. 
And we are gonna skip some because of time, but Jesus in, interacts with Mary, and it's another quite interesting um, interaction. I want you to look at that this week as you have time. Um, verse 35, Jesus weeps for lots of different reasons. Um, and then in verse 38, verse 38, it says, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. He comes to the place of pain. He comes to the place of disappointment. He's not afraid of it. He doesn't try and distance himself from it. He comes to the very place of disappointment and the place of pain. And he makes this, this statement that just blew me away. Jesus said, take away the stone. Jesus is literally moments away from causing someone who is dead to be alive. He's literally moments away from taking someone's heart who hadn't beaten in four days and make it beat again. He's gonna take a brain that, that has four days of no activity and make it totally fine again with no, no health issues. And yet he asks them to roll this stone away, something that Jesus and his disciples or Jesus himself was very capable of doing. Why in the world would he ask them to do that? And it's because that's the only thing Jesus ever asks of us, is to move the thing that's in the way out of the way so he can deal with it. Because what we have, what we do in life, what I do in life, and we're all guilty of this, is we have this place of pain or this place of disappointment and we put a stone over it so no one ever sees it, especially God. We wanna hide it from God because God, I can't tell you I'm disappointed in you. I can't tell you I'm frustrated. I can't tell you about this pain or this issue so I roll a stone in front of it to make sure you don't see it. And Jesus says, take away the stone. That's the only thing he really ever asks us to do in all these processes is to take away the thing that blocks him out. Stop blocking him out. Stop hiding the frustration. Stop pretending you don't feel disappointed about certain things. Don't pre stop pretending that you're not hurt in certain areas. Let God see it. Let God into it and watch what he does. And what he does is he makes one statement. He says, Lazarus, come out. I love that he calls him by name. One, because if he's in a tomb, there's probably other dead bodies there, and if Jesus just said come out, it's a walking dead episode, and everyone comes out. He specifically says, Lazarus, come forth. He picks one name, and he says it, and he knows him by name. I think you need to, I think you need to hear that. I think some of us this morning need to hear that in the craziness of life, and the craziness that's going on, in the stress of what's happening, Jesus knows your name. He knows you specifically. He knows you uniquely. He knows who you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows your job status. He knows your business. He knows your stress. He knows your fears. He knows your sins and he knows your struggles. And I love that. And even though he knows those things, yet he comes. He is still working. He is still working miracles. The truth is that this sickness did not lead to death because Jesus supersedes our fears, he supersedes our frustrations, he supersedes our struggles, and this morning, I hope you hear me, I hope as you're sitting in your living room, hopefully still in your pajamas, that you hear me this morning, God still knows your name, God still sees what's happening, he still loves you, and if we move the stone away, God can still do amazing things, let me pray for you. God, this morning, thank you so much that you are the God who comes through. You're the God who is 
amazing that in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this struggle, you're not caught off guard. You're not struggling with it. You see each and every one of us. You see where we're afraid. You see where we're struggling. You see where, where um, life has changed for some of us, some of, the, uh, some of our business owners and, and some of our people. The, the, this, is, this can be a crisis time. God, you see that. You see that. God, let us not hide that away from you. Let us be willing to say, this is my struggle, God. This is where I'm afraid. This is where I'm not doing okay. And Jesus, just like you did with Lazarus, look at the fear, look at the hopelessness. Look at what is impossible and God do something amazing. Thank you, God, for these resources to be able to meet together, even though we're not together this morning. Thank you that we have the resources and technology to still center our lives around the word of God to come together this morning. And God, I pray that we are blessed. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.